What do you do if you live in a really expensive area and you're paying high rent, but you're not sure if you're going to stay there forever? Well, today we talk to Ashley and Alex and we explore all the math and all the numbers for people living in the very expensive area of Boston, trying to figure out if it makes sense for them to buy a place that they might bail on in just a few years. Let's do it. What's up, my how to buy homies? This is your favorite kind of episode, listening to other people instead of this old man ramble. This is Alex and Ashley, and they bought a home on the East Coast, and we are so excited for them. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. So everybody wants to know how the heck you do this. So first of all, tell us you closed the end of May 2022, correct? Yep, that's right. Awesome. And so when did you start your journey and how did you start? Yeah, so I think it started around right at the beginning of the year, 2022. We were thinking about whether or not we'd be renting again, which we pretty much assumed that we would. Yeah, everybody kind of tells you that you need 20% down and sort of just believe them until you hear otherwise. And we were looking into what it takes to buy a home and realize that much like you've mentioned in your podcast, there's not a lot of good information out there. And so then we started looking through podcasts. I found yours and yeah, just took off from there. So we started listening around February or so and then started to figure out what it takes to actually make this happen. And then I think we also took a course at some point. Yeah, an online course just through Zoom in our local area. Didn't learn too much, unfortunately, through that, but at least started to hear kind of some of the terminology, get ourselves familiar with what it would take and kind of what the steps were for the process. Interesting. Well, I always like to be fair and ask, are there any other resources you could recommend to people like when they're starting out? Obviously, A to Z is going to be coming here, but was there any place else that you found some good stuff just to help you get going? Yeah, I do think that course was good. So that was a local course for us run by the city of Cambridge. They did a nice job of at least getting guests to come in and lecture about. So it was like six weeks, an hour or two, like 7 p.m. So it was nice that they had that on different days. They bring in a realtor. Another day they'd bring in a lender and then a home inspector and just give you the rundown and give you a chance to ask questions. And so and from that perspective, it was really good and it gave us a perspective of what the process looks like, but really didn't give us much in the nitty gritty of how you get it done. And so that's where your podcast came in. So outside of that, yeah, just a lot of Googling and fact checking between multiple sources. I know exactly those courses. I've been asked to come in and be the realtor at those. That's great to hear from you. And I actually haven't talked about it a lot on the podcast, but you listeners out there, you can check your local city resources. A lot of the times they're going to tell you the stuff that happens when you're already in the process because there is nobody that has my job title, random dude who helps you plan 12 months ahead of time. Everybody's job is part of the transaction. So it's great to hear it so it doesn't come at you the first time while you're doing it. Okay, so you found the podcast then, and what were your next steps? 
what did you realize you already had in place and what did you realize, oh gosh, we got to get on this stuff fast? I think one of the biggest things was just getting our finances in order. We had recently gotten married about a year ago. And so that was kind of something that we had been talking through, but we really hadn't finalized everything after the excitement of the wedding kind of wore off and we needed to get some of those things handled. And I think just looking through and seeing exactly like what we could afford, is this something that is even an option for us as we were thinking through different opportunities? In addition to that, we wanted to actually see places and get an idea of what was out there, but we didn't have a realtor in mind. And I started asking around for some recommendations from a few friends that I have here that have bought houses before. Not a lot of people do because it's so expensive in Boston. Yeah, so we started, we went to like a random open house. I think it was through Zillow, actually, they assigned us a realtor and we're like, okay, fine. Like, we'll let them show us around and all that. So that was the start of it. And then after that was, I think that day was the time I reached out to you asking for a realtor recommendation in our area, fully expecting to never hear back. And little did I know I was going to hear back in five minutes with a contact info and she was already contacting us and it was wonderful. It's so funny because those of you listening, I connected them with my Boston unicorn, who I've been working with for a decade, way before I started the podcast. And just this year, like a month ago, saw her in San Diego at a conference we go to every summer. And we like high-fived and talked about you guys. And it was <laughs> awesome. I was like, Michaela, what's up, girl? <laughs> um, Love Michaela. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's such good peeps. And a pro. And... She's one of the people when I started the podcast, I started to brainstorm with, like, I have this idea. And so she's always able to help because your situation, the average price right now for homes, 400,000 rents around 2000. I always tell people of the numbers that the people that are talking to you are different, just either cut them in half or double them. So I'm from Southern California, so this won't scare me, but tell us what was your rent as a young married couple in Boston? We were paying 2400 for a quote-unquote 700-square-foot apartment, which we calculated peak COVID to be maybe 600 was being generous. Okay, I heard two things there. <laughs> Number one, quote-unquote 700 square feet. That's genius. I'm making t-shirts. But, <laughs> but number two... So you were locked up and bored and just decided to pull out a tape measure? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, basically we had run out of things <laughs> to do. Not really. We were just curious because we were measuring a couple things and we had been there for three years. We moved in in 2019. We stayed there during the pandemic. We both worked from home in very close quarters. And so we were finally like, how big really is this place? I don't think it's 700 square feet. Yeah. I am currently under contract with a couple here in Southern California who listen to the podcast and reach out to me. Very same situation. And we did the inspection the other day and they were so excited. And I was like, what are you guys thinking about? And they go, oh, you don't understand. When we work, his desk is all the way up against that wall and mine's all the way up against the other. <laughs> and still we're right on top of each other, even though we're on opposite corners of, I think there's a 750. Although they haven't measured, so maybe it's only 600. We probably riskily put both of our monitors on the same desk when we first started and tried to sit right next to each other. 
that lasted all of a week. Uh, <laughs> and found our separate rooms after that. Yeah, you need one of those COVID plastic barrier <laughs> specials, you know? Yeah. Okay, so one thing I'm hearing is I kind of blew by it. There really are those great city programs. There's a lot of great stuff out there. But the fact that you committed to all those nights lets me know that you guys were ready to get out of this place that was built larger than it actually is. So moving forward then and understanding your finances, since you were in such a specific and expensive area, did you have any idea what a mortgage might cost before you started with me? Had you had that information? Somewhat. I mean, there's lots of online calculators. Any number of them will give you a ballpark estimate of what a certain square footage type place might be. Or if you know the cost of the place, you can just put it in and it should give you a rough idea of the mortgage. But I'm very much an analytical guy. And so I wanted to see like not just mortgage, but how about all the taxes and the closing costs and what happens when we actually turn around to sell it because there's fees there too. And so we try to take more of a all-encompassing approach where we looked at if we rented for these next five years, let's say, versus if we bought and sold a place that we would look for in the same timeline, how would that shake out? And so we put together a spreadsheet to try to crunch some of those numbers and do our best to calculate home appreciation and all of that. And it's not as big of a difference as I thought it might be. Like I thought buying a house is overwhelmingly going to be the better choice. But turns out you do need to take some time in the place for that to actually come to fruition and actually get the home appreciation that you need. Because it's not just the mortgage that you're paying, it's the other costs. And a lot of those are things you don't pay when you rent. And so trying to make sure we actually factored all that in. And I think one thing that kept coming up is whenever we'd talk to, I think that one realtor that showed us around that first house we saw, I was like, yeah, but how do you come to terms with all the other fees aside from just the mortgage? And the answer we always kept getting was like, oh, just like, trust me, I've been in real estate for a long time. It only takes a couple of years and you're already seeing the gains. I don't think I believe you because you're dismissing when I bring up all these other numbers. And like, yes, I do know that buying a house tends to work out in the better, but I just wanted to see the actual numbers behind it. So we put something together and hopefully it's about right. But I think by and large, it definitely will be an advantage and just having the uh, peace of mind that our rent's not going up. We aren't going to have to move again for quite a while and we can keep the place if we want to as an investment moving forward. So all very positive things and we can do what we want to it, which is great. Obviously, I want to unpack that entire little paragraph there because I couldn't agree more because there's a lot of stuff in there that people don't tell you because it's not going to turn you into an instant client. It's going to make some people think, people who don't use spreadsheets as much as you apparently do. But you have to have the data behind it. But it's really funny. Do you know like the number three reason that people want to buy a house is the last thing that you said? Yeah. It's yeah. people hate not being able to do stuff in their landlord's place. <laughs> yeah. What's been the most freeing thing you've been able to do? Is it painting a wall? Is it hanging something? Ripping out the medicine cabinets that were in here that were so ugly and huge. And that was the first thing. I mean, when we looked back at it, maybe I shouldn't have ripped out the lights and the mirrors and then not bought anything immediately after to use and move into a place that has no mirrors and no lights. 
But it was just so fun to be able like, I don't like that. So I'm going to just immediately replace it because I can. There's a massive dopamine rush. I mean, in LA, they're making those, what are they called? Like smash rooms now. <laughs> where, you know, But imagine the emotional experience when you're not just breaking something, you're improving something for yourself while you're ripping it out. That's super cool. All right. I've got to touch on it because you said it. So for everybody who heard everything that Alex was talking about, about doing the numbers and figuring it out, what the realtor didn't explain and say to him that they should have immediately said is, well, you're right. The average appreciation over the last hundred years has been about three to 4%. And it costs about seven to 8% to sell your home. So you should not buy a home and think you're going to sell it in two years, especially when we had 19% appreciation in 2021. So because in an average market, it takes you two years to break even because your home goes up three and a half percent and you have to pay six, seven, eight percent to sell your property. So all these two year people, I love you for listening to the podcast and being excited. You missed it. That was 2013, 14. And really, you could have done it 2020 to 2022 and made 25 percent minus six and a half, seven percent. So that's the math on that. Now, the other negative math that comes into it is maintenance and upkeep and taxes and HOA. But in general, you should be looking at your PITI payment the same way you look at your rent payment. And if it increases by 500, what's interesting is in the two years, you might be losing 500 a month, $6,000 for the first year. But the second year, it could be break even with your taxes and insurance when your rent goes up. Now, with a five-year run, how much do you think your little 600-square-foot place is going to be in five years? I mean, it's going to be crazy. Someone's going to be renting that place for three grand. Yeah, I think our place is hard to say. We were lucky that our rent stayed the same for all three years we were there, Uh, probably because it's a smaller place and it's a local owner, so they maybe didn't feel the need to raise it. But we've heard horror stories of people's rents around here that started at, let's say, 2,500 for a one-bedroom you know, maybe 600 to 800 square feet and landlords trying to raise it like a thousand dollars a month. So like 50% increase or like maybe 30% increase is nuts in a single year. So it's the supply and demand, which is just so frustrating is that everyone's talking about the recession, but we're still in a position where we've got 4.8 job raises this year and the job market's hot, but the news is going to talk about inflation and recession coming. But in the meantime, unemployment's down and the job market's still hot and there's not enough places to rent. And the landlords, they're licking their chops for your lease to come up because they're like, so I want 50 bucks worth of paint and I can raise it $700. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So then this is fantastic. That was a great little step into something else, some real life practical information for people. I always ask, even though I love Michaela, I always tell people there's a list of 188 things that can go wrong in a real estate transaction. Some of it is totally out of our control. So are there any tips or warnings or guidance that you would give people besides be prepared and take classes? Is there anything that totally shocked you? Maybe not shocked uh, in this one, but knowing what your options are for the offer itself, because it comes at you really fast. And so having talked about things ahead of time, which is something you preach on the podcast as well. Just knowing what you can do to make your offer more competitive, 
I don't think I fully appreciated how competitive the market was in the last six months or so. Getting 30 offers on the same place. And when it comes to like single family homes and even in the suburbs of Boston, you really don't have a chance unless you're putting high percentage down or mostly cash or something like that. And so I'd say one of the big things we did was take some of your advice, which is temper our expectations for what we could afford and be realistic about not just what we could afford, but where that was and how the competition would factor in. So if if you can find an area that maybe you weren't originally looking at, that you can get more features in the house that you're looking for, but you might sacrifice some here or there in one maybe location or something like that. Those are things we looked and thought very hard about because we can't compete with people that are trying to buy two-bedroom single-family homes that have to waive like literally every contingency possible. So that wasn't something we were willing to do. We waived most things, but not willing to waive a mortgage contingency. So things like that, being realistic on if that's what everybody does to get those places, that's something we're willing to do. So we can't look in those areas. Boundary setting. I love it. Did you end up making some of those compromises? Did you land in an area that you hadn't thought about? Did you reduce price? Did you reduce amenities? What did you guys do? Yeah, I would say we were looking originally when we went to our first open house, we're looking to stay in the same area in which we're renting. Alex had been here for a bunch of years. I had moved here and we are kind of in our little comfort zone neighborhood that we loved for many years and kind of just slowly realized that that's not where we're going to be able to buy a home. And that would be something that we just really wanted to be realistic about and So we looked in completely different neighborhoods in which the house itself was more what we were looking for and largely in a different neighborhood. And so in our minds, that was the biggest sacrifice that we made was location, but all the features itself. I mean, now we're in 900 plus square feet. We have a lavish lifestyle, I feel, compared to our little tiny apartment. I can shout to Alex from one side of the condo and he doesn't hear me, which is not the case in the other place that we lived. So there's a lot more options in terms of areas that we were willing to sacrifice, but ultimately we ended up with everything that we were looking for, but ideally just not in the neighborhood that we wanted to live in, in Boston. But I think it's also helped us get outside of our comfort zone and live in another area that we would have never considered had we not probably been looking to buy. Okay. I can't wait to go home and explain to my wife how awesome it is that she can't hear me because we bought such a lavish house. That's the greatest thing ever. (laughs) So she gets all mad. I have to explain to her, you should be happy we have this much space, honey. Oh, that's fantastic. So from the beginning then, I'm guessing that your Zillow rep, the door opener. So after that first viewing of something, was there a lot of conversation about what you should do next? Or was it just like, hey, did you like this? Do you want to write an offer? It was some of that. And then I think mostly it felt like it was being more of a salesman than anything, like work with me and we'll find places. He was very supportive and all of that, but felt like, I don't know, you just get their vibes. It's when somebody's doesn't feel right, they don't feel genuine. That's kind of the vibes we were getting. They have been a great realtor for all I know, but that was the vibes we were getting. I think the hardest part is what you guys were talking about is that when someone reaches out to someone to say, hey, show me this property, 
there's only so much conversation you could have while you're there at a property and walking around where someone else is going, oh, okay, you're planning. Let's work that. It's a whole different ball game. So you were talking about the competition. Fortunately, that's slowing down for our folks right now, but it's still massively important to make sure you understand all your options with the offer. It's not like a car. It's not just work the price and that's it and say no to the floor mats. Where were you guys in your down payment? Were you under 20%? Were you at? Were you over? Where were you guys with that? Yeah, so what we had planned on from the beginning was getting down to 5% or possibly 3.5% if we could do an FHA. But that was where talking to the lenders started to come in. You know, So when we started looking for pre-approval, we went to our unicorn realtor, Michaela. She suggested a whole team of people to work with all the way down to the attorney. And so that was great. She had everybody lined up, all people she'd worked with a bunch of times. And the process was very smooth because of that. So when we started talking to our lender, asking what the options were and trying to run numbers on it, they basically said FHA loan is possible, but it's harder to get the numbers for because they have to run a separate application. And they felt like some of the other fees associated when you go FHA, like with uh, renter's insurance and all that would probably end up canceling out because they felt like they could get interest rates down low enough with an adjustable rate mortgage. And so that's what we ended up going with. So I think in the end, what we ended up compromising on or what we were doing for the offer. So we knew we were going about 5% was the plan. And then what else could we do to make our offer more enticing? Because we didn't have more than 5% when you also add in closing costs after that and all that as places around here around seven hundred thousand dollars but neither of us are too far into our careers that we had a ton saved up and we put money towards student loans and all of that and so we didn't have a huge nest egg but we had a good chunk and so we decided if we can't go more down payment how else can we make things more competitive we talked to michaela and listened to your podcast things we ended up doing were putting in an escalation clause to try to make things more competitive. I think that this place was listed for 30,000 less than we paid for it. But our offer was not that far off from the original list price, but we put in such a big limit for the escalation clause that we figured, let's see what's out there because actually, do you want to walk them through the timeline for like when we saw it and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I saw it on Zillow on Monday. I texted Michaela, we need to see this place. We saw it on Tuesday, put the offer in Wednesday morning. It got accepted Wednesday afternoon and we were off and running from there. So I tell people all the time, I know that maybe listening to me while you're working out is boring and it's done. Prepare because your head's going to spin. The people I was telling you about earlier that I'm working with right now, we saw a place a month ago. We saw a place last week. And then we kind of funneled down. And then like, I think we're eight days in and four days ago, they were like, oh, my God, <laughs> it can go so fast. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, bam. And then everybody asked for money and they sent you a mountain of paperwork. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, because we looked for a lot of places and nothing was really checking all the boxes. We're kind of getting to the point where we're like, OK, we need to decide if we're going to be Resigning yeah. our lease. Either resign or, or look for a new place to rent because if you wait too long, then there's that everything's on the same cycle here. So if, if you're not looking at the right time, if you wait too long, you're going to lose out on good places to rent too. So like, okay, maybe we aren't going to find a place. And then maybe the next day after we had that discussion, Ashley was like, look at this place. We got to go see it. I was like, okay, let's go see it before the open house, before anybody else sees it. Good tip. So we yeah. saw it. 
I think 24 hours after it was put up on the website, we were the first people to see it. There were three people after us that night that it was in 15 minute increments. The next people were here. We were all seeing it on Tuesday for the open house that was scheduled for Saturday. And it kind of just took off from there. And we were on the phone with Michaela, (laughs) consulting her for our strategy on what would make it the best and most competitive and what would get us to that because we were very serious about it, knowing that it was exactly what we were looking for. And we saw it online and asked just immediately like this is the one we've got to get this place of course we have to go see it it's like okay fine it's all in yep. <laughs> and right when we saw it we we're like yep this is it like barely even looked at the place we're like we knew it's what we wanted to add everything and more parking included which is a big deal around here. whoa that's big in boston they're <laughs> yeah. like this is the place we definitely got to do it and then the second we get to the front door michaela actually oh, yeah. is close friends with the seller's agent and we're like oh thank god (laughs) and so that probably played a big role in the actual offer process as well but that was great so that plus the escalation clause the appraisal language we put in that we would pay i forget how much over the appraised cost but a gap not a complete waiving and not completely gonna stay beholden to it Yes, if it appraised under the cost as long as it was within, I think we said 15000 of what we put in as our offer, then we were going to do it. The only reason we were comfortable with that is because our realtor was pretty confident after doing all of her comps to say that this place is not going to appraise for... It's going to be very close, but probably going to be over what you ended up putting in as your offer. And so she felt confident that it would appraise for at least very close to what we offered. So that felt like it was more for the sellers than it was for us. So they felt comfortable. This thing wasn't going to fall through because the other part of it was they wanted to move fast. It was a 30-day closing, which is maybe not as fast as some people go, but it is on the faster end from what I understand. Did you have to tighten up the inspection periods? Was it shorter than the normal? By a few days, I think everything got shortened down a bit, but we weren't doing an inspection anyway, so condo. Got it. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Well, boy, again, everybody hit rewind. That's all. Hit rewind and listen. If you don't understand it, that's fine. But the appraisal gap coverage, I think the unspoken piece of the appraisal gap there is list prices don't matter in this market. And they're not going to matter when the market changes because people are going to list their home and they're going to be just insanely too high as opposed to now or Maybe not necessarily now, but definitely when you guys were at the beginning of 2022. List prices don't matter. So there were two huge benefits of your unicorn realtor. Number one, she'll never tell you, but I'm pretty sure you got in because she knew the people. Yeah. That's huge. It's an important part of the business. People are still part of the world. You can't buy a home on an app. And there's not an unethical part to it. It's the other agent will confidently look in the eye to the seller and say, all right, these two are even but this lady closes deals. That's a huge deal to the seller. And then having the understanding to be able to help analytical minds like you understand that a $15,000 appraisal gap and offering a little bit over, but we might end up 30,000 over, those numbers sound gigantic. I'm sure people are listening right now freaking out, but I know what happened based on what you told me. You looked at it, you put the offer in, 
And she told you after she did the comps, we're going up. Be ready. And we're going up. And I don't think we're going to have to eat into your 15,000 appraisal. Yeah. That's a huge difference. Wow. Well, for anyone who lives where home values are at $200,000, you probably have driven off the road already. But for my friends in San Francisco, Denver's getting pricey right now. My unicorn out there. But Boston and L.A., this is what we got to deal with. And I love the fact that you understood that, especially on a five-year plan for you guys, it might not be super sexy. You're not going to make 2019, 2020 numbers, but student loan is going to be getting behind you and being a renter is getting behind you. You'll be able to do this next time. You are young. I'm sure things will go well for you in your careers. So thank you guys so much. I'm going to put you on the spot. Anything you want to tell the podcast listeners about the whole experience? I would say make sure that when you're having the conversations that you do your research, that you aren't afraid to ask too many questions. I think that was something that I was a little bit hesitant on. Maybe Alex asked all the questions, but being a first time home buyer, you've never been through it before. And as long as you trust in the team that you work with, they're really going to help support you. And I think what made me as somebody who maybe wasn't as familiar with all of the parts and being more on the fun side of things versus Alex taking more of the financial and the analytical mind gave me a lot of peace of mind and knowing that people do this every day. And so really trusting them. And if I was freaking out about something, but our realtor wasn't, especially as you're getting closer to closing, that it was totally fine. And so I would say just make sure that you have that team that you trust and don't be afraid to ask questions. That's huge. I love it. Embrace the ignorance. It's okay. Stay fun. I mean, I know you're definitely a fun person, but I mean, I'm just talking to you. You also sound like a smart person. There are people that I see their insecurity hold them back from asking questions. So I love what you said. Trust the people first. Then once you're working with them, ask away, man. Ask away. It's the only way to move forward because someday they're going to give you a paperwork about an inch thick and ask you to sign every single page. So you better be confident. So, <laughs> And for me, I'd say that my big thing was much like you've talked about so many times, but the process of finding your team does not start with the lender. Pre-approval is not step one. Getting the education is step one. And a lot of that comes from finding a realtor and Honestly, you're so much better off finding the realtor first and using them to connect you to the rest of their network. Because if you go to your lender first, get a pre-approval, then you go find a realtor and your realtor's like, oh, I hate working with that person. I don't like them. Or maybe they've never worked together. They don't know what each other's all about. So you can't work efficiently in a setting like that. And so building the team in a way that's cohesive, which usually starts with the realtor, was huge for us. And that was something we learned from you. And so that, for me, that was a big part of it. And then, yeah, just, it's a scary process altogether. You can convince yourself based off of which article you read that it's a good or a bad idea. You know, everybody's got a different opinion. There's always risk involved. And so just however your brain works, figure out what is best for you to convince yourself this is the right move. And maybe it'll take you longer than you thought, but Actually, it'll probably go faster than you thought if you've got a good team and are thinking properly about it. I don't think when I moved here or even a year ago, I was planning to buy a house even within the next couple of years. 
And then it wasn't until we realized you can get by with 5% down, but you've got to make yourself competitive in other ways. So learn the tricks you can play ahead of time and then just trust the team that you build. So those are the things I'd definitely like to end on for us. Well, I'm going to call this episode Rewind. (laughs) Both the things you said right there. I really, really hope that everyone out there listens and understands that here's a very nice young couple that I'm just meeting in person today. We've been talking online, but everything about understanding that this is possible even in Boston just was going to translate and trickle down to everybody else. And I know it can seem weird, the whole realtor first, but Alex, thank you, thank you, thank you, because this is just the inside information I found out. The realtors are still running their business the old-fashioned way. They're not training the people well enough when they're new. And then Silicon Valley got all the lenders on the tech side of things. So everything you see says pre-approval first, lender first, pre-approval first. But it's the insider secret I try to explain to people, but I sound like a jerk. I'm trying to say, well, the reason the realtor tells you that is because they're lazy, because the average realtor makes $33,000 a year. Because the average realtor, 87% of realtors quit in the first three to five years. And maybe they don't want to work and help you understand the financial options and all the things that you can do, but it also might be maybe they don't know. So they are trained. You see a first time buyer in an open house, send them to a lender. Lenders figured that out and now they're hitting everybody online. So I've said it a thousand times, but rewind, 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 because When you're with someone who's experienced, they will be able to help speak both languages to you. And people ask me all the time, what makes you a good realtor? And I'm like, well, because when Alex talks to me about the numbers, I'm going to give him numbers answers. And when Ashley and I are talking, we're going to be figuring out which tools are going to rip out the medicine cabinet. (laughs) And you got to understand both sides of both buyers and try to make it as great a situation. So, okay. I'm going to let you guys go, and we are going to, just so you know, Michaela will be able to help, and I'm sure her team, but we're going to be talking over like every six months, checking in on the numbers, because this is not just one. It's tougher in your area. I'm talking to some people who bought in Utah the other day, which is blowing up. We're going to keep checking in every six months and figure out the best plans for you. Episode 98 is all about maybe if you guys can figure out a way to keep that property break even here in five years, keep that property, and then retire. So that'll be super fun. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you guys being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a bunch, David. Appreciate all your help. Well, gang, I think that I said it best in the interview. No need for a recap here. Just rewind, rewind, rewind. Listen to the real story coming straight from the horse's mouth. If you got friends and family interested, would really help the podcast out if you shared this podcast with other people. You can do it right from your phone, hit the little hamburgers, share this by text. And of course, as always, if you have any questions, go to howtobuyahome.com, ask David, there's a button right there. Promise I'll answer you and we'll do what we can to get you started on your personalized plan. And maybe you live in an expensive area like Ashley and Alex, we'll figure out how you can get this done and make the numbers work for you. You can do this.